you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 17? Acts chapter 17. I want to thank uh, all of you who last week, following the message, reminded me that you were able to get Willie Stargell's autograph, and I was not. So thank you for that. Just affirmation. So I was thinking this week that... uh, I don't know if you've seen the announcements about the the new store, the revamped sporting store, Dick's Sporting Store opening at the mall. Um, Jack Ham was here this week. Heinz Ward was here yesterday. And Jerome Bettis is here today. So I'm thinking of wrapping up early and going to get in line because I need an autograph. So... uh, No, I've been thinking a lot about questions and answers lately. Um, I remember when I was, you remember when you were in school, but there was always that one kid in class. Remember that kid that always asked the questions? Because the normal people, the normal people were just trying to get through class, right? We just wanted to get class over with, right? But then there was always that one kid. They usually sat in the front row and they usually had Now, I remember in college, in college, they usually sat in the front row and they usually came to class with a big coffee mug. Remember the 32-ounce mugs that that gas stations used to, right? So they'd come walking in, right? We're all in the back just trying to survive 8 a.m., right? And in comes walking this dude, 35,000 ounces of coffee, right? Briefcase, sitting down, right? Now, for all of us, we just wanted to get through, just, want, just trying to get done, just trying to get to 9 o'clock, right? Just trying to get out of here, right? Just trying to get whatever done. And, and, and you could see the teachers wrapping up early, right? Do you ever have that experience, teachers wrapping up early? You're like, all right, this is awesome. We're out of here early. It's Friday. We're going to, right? And you start, and the teacher says, any questions? And Mr. 35,000-ounce coffee mug raises his hand, and he got the look right? Everybody's like staring him down from behind. And he's asking about this deep theological question about, we're like, bro, we just want to go. Like, what's your problem? Did you ever experience that? Did you ever experience that moment where you're just like, can you stop asking the question? We just want to get on with life. We just want to keep moving. We're just trying to get out of here. I've been thinking a lot about questions and answers lately. We have the mundane questions, right? Like, what's for dinner? Or what do you want to do this weekend? Right? Two questions that you think you should be able to answer fairly quickly. What's for dinner? And what do you want to do this weekend? How often do you have to spar on those two questions? Right? How long does it take to answer that? Where do you want to go to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Right? 38 minutes later, you're still hungry. Right? I mean, thinking about the important questions we ask, right? Hey, did you get paid this week, right? Did, it hit, did you pay the bills? Thinking about the life-changing questions. Will you marry me? Questions like that. Then thinking about the necessary questions, right? Coming over, you know, to the picnic yesterday. I'm sure somebody said, did you put the garage door down? Yeah. The necessary questions. The things of life that we have to ask each other to get through. The routine questions that we ask each other. But then there's, there's the deeper questions that sometimes 
all we can ask is, is as we think about these deeper questions, the only way they really come out is we just look at the world around us and we just go, what are we doing? What in the world is going on, right? It really is a deeper, like you're moved by something that's going on in the world, but it's so prevalent. It's so, it's so prevalent in our world. Like you don't even have the words to form. You just see what's happening. And you're just like, the only thing you can say is you just look at each other and go, what are we doing? What, what, what is this? What is, usually it's, it, it follows watching the news. Okay. Then you watch the news and you see what's going on. You just go, what is, what are we doing in this world? What is going on? What are we, what, what's going on in our life? What's going on in living? What's going on in our marriages and our family and, and in our future? What about money and, and work and politics? We sometimes, we're just like, what, what is going on here? Questions that, that arise out of purpose. What am I doing with my life? Questions that arise out of self-identity or self-esteem. Questions that, 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 you know, deeper questions about health and health care, mental health, questions deeper about death and dying, deep questions about faith and, and the Bible and Jesus and God and, and the Trinity and, and the Lord's Supper and the Eucharist and Passover. Like, why are they called four different things? And, right, the deeper, like, we want to reach these deeper things, these, these questions that we have and they and these deep meaningful questions go on and on and on and on touching every facet of our life now what's great for you and me in the culture that we live in is this everyone has answers right because everyone's an expert right you got those people in your family everyone's an expert if you don't then you might be anyway Everyone's an expert. They've all got the answer. Oh, I'll tell you what's going on. I'll tell you what you should do. I'll tell you how to live. I'll tell you the right thing. I'll tell you what's right. I'll tell you what's wrong, right? Everybody's an expert. Everybody has an answer to give. If you'll just listen to me, life would be better, right? How many of you get to say that at work? Say that one at work? Well, you don't say it to your boss. You say it at the water cooler, right? If they would just listen to me, we'd fix this thing, right? We'd fix this company. We'd fix this organization. If they'd just listen to me. And then it turns into you should, right? You should. I love our you should people. You should. I'll say something like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this car. This is the kind of car I really like. I'm thinking about maybe buying this kind of car. And then you get the you should people. You know those people? Now, you should really get Oh, okay. Because I thought I knew what I liked. I thought I knew what I wanted. I thought I knew how I, and then you get the, you should. No, you should really. You should. Oh, okay. So you get the, you get the, we should, right? We could fix this thing. And then you get the, you should, you should really do this. You should really live this way. You should really act this way. And then you get the, why won't you listen to me people, right? These are parents in the room, right? Why won't you listen to me, right? If you've got a 13-year-old boy, God bless you. Why won't you listen to me? And then they're, and they're firing back, why won't you listen to me, right? And it just, right, it's just this chaos that happens. We've got 
The good thing about all the deep questions we have in our world today is that we got a lot of experts because they're willing to share their answers. And then you add, and then you add to that the, the narcotic of social media, right? So now, now not only, not only does everybody have an answer and not only does everybody have, have, have the, the formula for how you should and we should, right? But now they're all doped up on social media and just, just the vitriol just rises, right? Now I've got a platform. Nobody's going to listen to me at work. So everybody on social media is going to listen to me. I'm going to tell you how we fix things. I'm going to tell you how we should do it, right? And isn't it interesting, some of the most meek and mild people we see in our, in our everyday life, right? You pull up their social media and you're like, oh my, oh, okay, uh, okay. That's where we're going with that. Did not know that. The narcotic of social media just amplifies all of that. And it becomes, it becomes who can scream the loudest, right? You ever watch that news show? Who can scream the loudest? Yeah, it's on every night from like 4 p.m. to like midnight on pick your channel, right? Pick your channel. It doesn't matter. Again, I'm going to walk right down the middle of the road on this one. I don't care what channel you put on, but it's all, it's, it's who can scream the loudest, it's not about the issue. It's not, it's not even about the question. And the problem is we have real questions. And the problem is people want answers. And the problem is people are desperate to find hope. People want answers. People are looking for answers. People have important questions. People want to be heard. They want their question heard because it reaches them at at some deep part of their life. They want, in an answer, they want something to believe. Over the last number of weeks, we've been in this series called Legacy. And I've simply been asking this question. Will we be people who leave a legacy of faith for those who come behind us? Will we live our lives right here, right now, in such a way that we leave a legacy of faith for those who come behind us? Will we, will we direct our lives, believing God, will we direct our lives in such a way that we leave a legacy of faith? And then I asked us now over the last couple of weeks and into today, to just change the perspective just a little bit from the individual to the corporate, will we be a church that leaves a legacy of faith for people who come behind us? Will we as a church orient ourselves around God's promises, around God's truth, and live live it out in such a way that we leave a legacy of faith? And we've seen that, that us as a church, we as a church, uh, historically have a legacy of faith that's been passed down. And so it's something that we now own. It's now something that we've been asked to shepherd. It's now something that we've been asked to, to uh, uh, hold on to and steward for the next generation. And the question is, will we, will we as a church do that? Will we leave a legacy of faith? 
And I asked us in the context of, will we be a church where people can come and begin in their faith journey? Will they find this to be a safe place to begin and and find connections? Will they find it last week a place where they can not just begin, but can they belong? Will they find family here? Will they, as they are living their life, as they are, can they come and be accepted into family so that they can understand who God is, so that they can grow in faith, so that they can direct and reorient their lives? Will they find First Alliance to be a place where they can belong? And if you were at the picnic last night, I think you saw that. There's family, there's a family atmosphere that we're building that we continue to build upon from generations. Today, I'm asking this question. Can First Alliance be a place where people can come and believe? We want to be a place where they can begin their journey. We want to be a place where they can belong in their journey. But can we be a place where people can come and believe? Can this be a place where people can, can bring their questions, deep and good and hard questions, unpopular, um, uneasy questions? Can this be a place where, where this congregation, these people in this day and age, will we, will we listen to people? Will we understand the questions that are being asked Will we, will we enter into good and healthy, spirit-led and, and Christ-filled conversations? You see, I think the church should be a place where, where people can feel like they can ask their questions. And you know what happens when you ask questions? Sometimes you have to live with doubt. Right, because there's a, there's a purpose behind the question, right? Usually the purpose, sometimes, not usually, sometimes the purpose is I don't know. I don't know the answer. That's why I'm asking this question. And so can we be a church where it's safe for people to come and ask their questions and as they're exploring the, their answers, are we a safe place where they can live with their doubt? Can we be a place where together, we explore the truth. I think, I think we should be a place where we, where we wrestle with hard questions. Hard questions of life, hard questions of faith, and people can believe. They should find an opportunity to, to ask the question, to live with doubt, to wrestle together with the answers, right? Remember Isaiah, right? Isaiah come now, let us reason together, right? There's this, there's this talking it out. There's this, there's this thinking it through. Can we be a church where, where part of believing is understanding that I bring questions about God and, and faith and we talk about it and we live in this and we, get, we find those opportunities to believe in God and believe in Jesus where we learn how to believe in the values and the principles and the priorities of, of Christ and how those are lived out in our communities and in our workspaces and in our individual lives. 
in our schools and, and in our homes? Is this a place where, where we can believe that, that there's a future for us? That, that we can believe in, in other people? Is this a place where we can believe that there's more to this world than the propaganda is telling us? And can we believe that God loves me and wants the best for me? Even with all my hard and difficult, controversial and deep questions. I I would say that part of the beauty of journeying to believe in God is, is realizing that the answer is found in the gospel of Jesus, right? That, that the beauty of a faith community, of this faith community, is that when people come and ask the hard questions, we know that the answer is grounded in the power of the gospel which is the message of Jesus. But as a church, I think our effectiveness in sharing that message, the effectiveness of that gospel is multiplied when we listen to the questions and we understand the context of the conversation, right? We steward and grow our legacy when we are wise to listen, to assess, and to respond with the right words at the right time. We have answers. We have the answer. And it's powerful. We sang about it this morning, right? It's powerful. The life of Christ moving in us is powerful and it brings the answers that we need to life and living and interacting in this world and culture and society. And we have those answers, but we also have people who have deep and serious questions who are at their own place and stage in the journey, trying to figure it out, trying to figure out how it all fits together and how it all mixes and matches and how it all works. And we have this opportunity to answer with the power of the gospel, the questions that they are bringing. But sometimes we need to understand and remember that we need to listen to the question and understand the context so that, we, so that the power of that gospel is multiplied in their lives. Does that make sense? We need to hear what people are saying. We need to listen to them. We need to assess it and we need to respond. So how do we engage people with where they are and their questions? How do we, how do we help them believe? Well, let's do this. Let's be honest about some of our fears about that. Anybody afraid to answer questions when people ask them? Two of us. We're, we'll go to we'll go to we'll go see Jerome today together. Just you and me. Oh, sorry. Anybody else? Like like you know people have questions about faith and church and religion. Anybody afraid to 
enter into those? A couple people, more, more people. 11, 11 o'clock service, nobody's afraid. I'm just telling you right now. They're, they're all with us. Afraid sometimes. Right? We're afraid that, we're afraid that we don't have the answer. Right? You ever been there? You're afraid you just don't have the answer. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But how many of you, I'm, I'm like this sometimes. I, I'm not afraid of their question. I'm afraid of the next question because I don't know what it is, right? And so like, I'm happy to answer your question, right? Deb, I'm happy to answer your question. Happy to sit with you. We'll sit down. We'll sit under that tent. We'll talk all back. But here's the thing. I don't know what your next question is. Right? So I don't know. So like all of a sudden, right? Barrier goes up. I'm like, I'm only going to like, right? I'm only going to answer this much. We're afraid. We're afraid of what the next question is. We're afraid sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we're afraid maybe, maybe I just don't think deeply enough. Maybe I don't have enough background in this area, whatever the, whatever the, the question is in this area, right? I walk around and I hear people talking about auto mechanics and how they're fixing this and how they're fixing that at their, at, you know, with their car. And I'm like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. Got no clue what they're talking about. No clue. I don't know. I fix my car because I got this guy Bill down here on 26th Street. That's how I fix my car. I don't, I don't know. Enough, I don't know enough about it, right? I don't know enough about it. So it's a fear. It, it holds us back. I don't have. Maybe I don't have the education. My, maybe maybe I don't have the the history. Maybe I don't have the experience, right? Uh, we're afraid of being put on the spot, right? Right? So preacher man stands up here every week and says, engage with people, you know, talk to them at, you know, at, at restaurants and all that. And you're like, I ain't doing that. Like, I don't, I'm not going to put on the spot, you know, and fair enough. Like some of us need time to process the question, right? Like, it's not like, it's not like I don't have an answer. It's just, I'm trying to figure out how to answer it for you. And for some of us, for some of us, we're just, we're just afraid that we're being put on the spot. And for some of us, Maybe, maybe in a, in a moment of, of, of honesty with ourselves, maybe we don't think we have enough faith to answer a question of faith. Maybe, maybe we're like, you know what, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm kind of far from God right now, and I'm not real sure I've got an answer for your question. In fact, I've got more questions than you do, right? So those are our fears, and, and I, I think it's, it's good to name those. I think it's good to normalize them. Like, we all do that. We all have those fears. But what do we do with that? Because people still have questions, and we still need to be a place where there's answers. So what do we do with that? Well, in Acts chapter 17, I think Paul gives us a framework. Paul gives us a framework to deal with the questions that people come up with. I'm going to start in verse 16. I, I, there were, there's a number of verses I want to refer to today. Uh, the scripture reading uh, that Vera read was, was only focused on a portion of that because the whole, the whole passage is, is absolutely fantastic. And um, so I'm just going to start in chapter 17, verse 16, a little bit before where she started. And it says this. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, uh, he had been down in this area and his friends were, were a- across the sea in another place. He had gone ahead to Athens. So while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. 
as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Aragapis. I'm going to mispronounce that every time today. Just honest, that's my fear up here today. So they took him to a meeting where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and and we would like to know what they mean. Verse 21, all the Athenian and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but, but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Six things that Uh, Six aspects of Paul's encounter that I think help us begin to to build a framework for us answering the questions that people have in our world about faith, about God, about church, about religion, about how all of that works together in the lives that they live in, the culture that we live in, in the communities that we live in. Six six aspects that I think help, uh, six aspects of Paul's encounter that I think help us. The first one is this, there was a stirring in his heart. Did you catch that in verse 16? Paul was greatly distressed. He cared about what was going on in that community. He cared about that community. He cared about those people. He cared about what was happening in the lives of the people that were around him. He was connected with God. He had, a, he had a relationship with God. God had done something in his heart. And as he reflected on what God had done in his heart, he looked at the culture and the community and the people around him, and he was greatly distressed. He was moved. And for some of us, we need to be moved again. For some of us, we need to be moved again to the things that break God's heart. Because it's easy for us to get cold and calloused. It's easy for us to just go on our way. It's easy for us to turn a blind eye. It's easy for us to pull the shades down, to not engage, to not encounter. It's easy for us. And the longer we do that, it starts out small. It's subtle. It does. It does. It just starts out small, but then after time, it becomes a callous. And soon it's almost as though, almost as though, We don't care. Paul was distressed. He entered into that situation. He entered into that community and he saw what was going on and his heart, his gut was stirred. Oh, we have to do something. You ever feel like that? You ever see something going on around you? Like we have to do something. And you share that with somebody else and they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't, yeah, great. You volunteer to do that, right? And it's like, why don't you care? The first thing I think we have to wrestle with is God stirring our, in our heart. Our, is our heart breaking for the things that break God's heart? Secondly, that I, the second thing I, I see in Paul's encounter, a second aspect is this, is that there was awareness awareness. 
He was aware of the idols that were in the town. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. He saw what was going on. The city was full of idols. He wasn't, why was he, why was he stirred? Why was he distressed? Because he saw what was going on. His eyes were open to what was happening. He could see what the people were wrestling with. He could see what was going on in the lives of that community. Think about Greece. Think about ancient Greece. Thousands, thousands of idols, wood and stone, metal, thousands of idols that people worshiped. I worship this one for my business. I worship this one for my marriage. I worship this one for my finances. He is disturbed by it, but he's aware of what the people are dealing with. He saw all the idols. He understood them. He knew what was going on. He, he could sense what their, what their heart's longing was by the thing that they worshiped. He was aware of what was going on in their world. The third thing that, the third aspect that I see about Paul's encounter is this, is that he engaged appropriately with the people where they lived. I don't mean their address. I mean where they lived in their season and station of life. He engaged them appropriately. Look at what it says. It says he went to the synagogue, right? He started in the synagogue. That's what he always did. He went to the town and he went to the synagogue. Religious people, right? He went to the synagogue where he found Jews and God-fearing Greeks. That, that was, that's who was there. And when he was there, when he was there in the synagogue, he reasoned with them. He reasoned with them. That word reason, that word reason means to, to say thoroughly. It's about a deep examination. They studied together. So he went to the, he went to the town. He was deeply stirred. He could see the idols and his first stop was the synagogue. And while he was there with the people who were religious, he reasoned with them. Let's study together, Right? Let's deeply look at at the things of God. Let's deeply talk about these things. And then it says, and then it says, uh, he went out into the marketplace. So he didn't just visit the synagogue, but he also went into the marketplace. And there was a mix of everybody in the marketplace, right? It wasn't just the religious people, but it was a mix of everybody, every different culture, every different community, every different belief system, all the different philosophers. Remember, this is ancient Greece, right? You got the Stoics and the Epicureans, and you've got all these people who are trying to, you know, tout their own philosophy out there in the world, right? This is what I think. And they go over here, you know, and they, no, this is what I think. They go over to this business over here. Well, I think this, and these people think that, and I'm from this part of the world, and they're from that part of the world. It's a little, we don't believe in God. We don't believe in, we don't go to synagogue. We, we worship our idols, right? So in the synagogue, he reasoned with the people. What does it say in the marketplace? He debated with them. It's a different word. It's a different word. In the marketplace, he debated with them. It, it means to encounter in a hostile sense, almost to fight. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? 
Let's go to the marketplace. Let's go. Let's talk about this, right? What do you think? Well, this is what I, and this isn't, so when Paul's in the marketplace, this isn't sitting in the fireside room with your cup of coffee. Let's open up the scriptures and see what Paul says. That's not this. This is like, what do you believe? Oh, I don't believe that. How could you believe that? Are you crazy? Are you nuts? Let's debate this. Let's talk about this in more detail. And they go back and forth arguing. And it almost, you ever, ever walk by that conversation? It's like, oh, those two people are fighting. Let's just keep moving. That's, that's what this picture is. Notice, with the religious people who were sensitive to, to the scriptures, he reasoned with them. With the people in the marketplace who had no concept, no idea with God, he changed his approach and he debated with them. We're going to reason with these people, but these people over here, we've got to debate. We've got to get it. It's okay to get into it. It's okay to get a little... Mm, up and into it, right? It's okay to like, let's talk about this. It's okay to dig in a little bit. It's okay to dig your heels in a little bit and say, no, this is truth. This is what I believe. It's okay to debate. Paul reasoned in the synagogues. Paul debated in the marketplace. It was a different environment. It was a different setting, different people, different questions in the marketplace, But without changing his message, he changed his approach. Fourth, he kept us cool. Kept us cool when the insults came. Do you see what they called him in the marketplace? They didn't call him this in the synagogue. They called him this in the marketplace. That babbler. Blah, 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 blah. Right? The babbler. Right? That word means... um, has the implication of a person who has low status. You would, use that, you would use that phrase with somebody who has low status and it insults his intelligence and his livelihood. So when you say, no, oh, that babbler, you're, 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 you're cutting them at a, at, a, at a status level. You have no status. Babbler. And, and, and your intelligence, you're dumb. And the, the, the job that you have, <laughs> babbler, just go on. He's getting nailed in the marketplace. But you know what he did? He just kept his cool. Just kept talking. Just kept answering the questions. Just kept debating. Fifth thing, he kept the message pretty simple. The message was simple. It was good news about Jesus and the resurrection. It was good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, this is what, this is what the philosophers and the Stoics would have wanted to talk about, right? You're talking about somebody that's been resurrected. You're talking about somebody you're claiming to be a God. You're going to talk about a resurrected man who became a God. And you're going to talk about that in Athens. All right, let's go. Let's debate that. Let's talk about it. And he kept his message simple. It's about the, resurre- the good news of Jesus and his resurrection. That's what the message is about. Paul understood his audience. He knew who they were. He knew what they wanted to talk about. And he kept his message simple. The sixth thing was he made his case. Notice the progression of the meeting. So he starts in the synagogue, then he goes to the marketplace, and then he goes to the courts. 
He's invited to the Aragapis. He's invited to the government. This is the place where, where the government officials worked. This is the place where the, the, the civic debate happened. This is the place where, where the lawyers got together, right? This is where, where trials were tried. This is where people were, were, were uh, uh, put up on trial for their guilt or their innocence. Understand where the progression has gone. He's gone from the church to the common marketplace, and now he's being entered into the civic and government status of the community. Now, there is some debate. Was Paul being arrested? Was Paul on trial? Was Paul not quite on trial, but if he says something we don't like in this setting, eh, we're going to get him? I don't know. There's some debate on that. But it seems like at a, at a glance, at a cursory reading, and even as F.F. F. Bruce would say, he's not in trouble here. They want to hear him. And who wants to hear him? The people of government people in the civic center, the people in, in the area of law want to hear what he has to say. You want to talk about influence? You want to talk about networking? You want to talk about having the opportunity to take the message, the simple message of Jesus and the resurrection to all parts of your community? Look where he went, from the synagogue to the marketplace to the courts. He had influence because he engaged the people that were around him. He had influence because he was willing to tell the story. And as somebody heard him tell the story, they said, hang on, I want you to tell that story over here. And that over here took him to a different area, took him to a different level, took him to a different place of influence. Why? because he shared his story, because he answered the questions. The culture was deeply pantheistic. It was polytheistic. It was deeply philosophical. Remember verse 21, all these people wanted to do was sit around and, you know, play let's how smart we are today, right? That's all they wanted to do. And Paul engaged them right where they were. So, Watch how Paul crafts now this message of meeting people where they are. Verse 22, which Vera read for us. Verse 22. Paul stood up in the meeting and said, people of Athens, I see in every way that you are very religious. Look at that, out of the gate, out of the gate, honoring the setting that he's in. Honoring the setting. People of Athens. You can almost hear the tone change in him, right? Have you ever been to a court proceeding? You ever been to a trial? A little different environment, right? A little different. You're not just up there, you know, glad handing the judge, like, hey, what's up, man? No fist bumps, right? At, there's a moment when when it starts, it's like, all rise, right? Am I right on this? All rise. I, I get this from watching Law and Order, not that I've been in a courtroom myself, right? There's a change. There's a shift, right, in tone. Like, you don't smart off to the judge, Right? He's not your buddy and pal in that moment, right? Paul, Paul, right from the beginning, right from, he met them where they were. And what does he do? He sets the tone. He addresses them with respect for the context. He understood the social and cultural cues that he was connected in at that moment. 
What has happened? I've got this. This is one of my what are we doing questions. What has happened to social and cultural awareness in our lives, in the communities that we live in? The social and cultural awareness of, of living and acting and, and speaking to, to elders in a certain way in our, in our context. What has happened to that in our world? I'm going to tell you this. If we want to answer the questions that people have, we better take good social cues and address people appropriately, respectfully, honorably. Paul did that. Verse 23, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, now look at what he's saying. He's putting himself in the place of a learner. They have questions, but in his address to them, he puts himself in the place of a learner. Yes, he has answers, but he's not going to disrespect them. He's going to honor the culture that they live in. And he says, you know what? I've been trying to understand you guys. I'm not an expert at what's going on in your world. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to see what's going on. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, that word carefully takes into account, you know what the Greek word for carefully means? Carefully. It's not rocket science. Like, so what does he mean? Well, it means he looked carefully. Like he wasn't just skimming through it. Oh, I got that. No, he looked carefully. What's your question? What are you dealing with? What are we talking about here? All right, let me, let me think about that. Let me carefully explore that because I want to give you a good answer. So Paul, Paul puts himself in the place of a learner. I want to understand you. Now, I don't know why we have to do this in our culture, but we do. As soon as we say he's trying to understand them, then somewhere in our culture we've gone to, oh, so he just accepts what they're doing in their life? No, he's trying to understand them. He's not changing his message. He doesn't surrender his ground. He doesn't surrender his faith. He's just trying to understand. I'm holding to my faith. I'm just asking more questions. I'm just trying to be a learner. Help me understand where you're coming from so that in me standing on my ground, I can approach you and answer you appropriately. He says, I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. He says, so you're ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. He speaks to their need. You have an altar there, unknown God. Guess you gotta, you're trying to figure that out in your life, right? That's a need that you have. Let me speak to that need. Now again, 30,000 30, idols in Athens. So what are the, the people of Athens trying to do with this altar? Well, maybe somebody just got tired of making idols and they're like, I don't know. Let's just do this one. This one covers all bases. The unknown God. There you go. Now we don't have to keep making stuff. Well, I need an idol for this. I need an idol. Well, we got this one, the unknown God. That covers it, right? There's some thought, like, like there's some historical thought that that's why that, that altar was there. They're just trying to cover their bases. They're just trying to figure it out, right? To the unknown God. And Paul says, okay, I'm gonna speak to your need. And, and it seems like you're just trying to cover your bases. But what it's doing is it's exposing your own ignorance. Interesting word he uses there, isn't it? So you are ignorant ignorant. What have we just said? Where's he at? Let's play, let's play. Are you paying attention to the pastor? Where's he at? What, what, what country? Greece, right? Who lives in Athens? 
at this time? Who are the smart people there? Philosophers, Stoics, Epicureans, right? Like really smart dudes. If you have to look up what Epicurean means, let me just save you the trouble. Really smart people who sit around and want to tell you they're really smart. That's who they are. All right? So really smart people who pride themselves in being really smart, right? And what does Paul call them? What's Paul's inference? Gotta love it, right? You gotta love it. Here's Paul. Here's Paul, like subtly sneaking in the zing, right? We're gonna get you, right? Right? I see where you're ignorant. Oh, hang on. We're smart people here. We're really bright. We're philosophers. We're stoics. We know what's going on. And Paul goes, Paul goes, oh, so you're ignorant of the very thing that you worship. See what he did? See what he did? He's starting in. He found the soft spot. Now I'm going to come at you from this way. Paul knows what he's doing. He knows the people. And even subtly, or maybe not so subtle, he begins to address their need. I need you to hear this today. He knows what he's doing. He knows the people. And he begins to address them where they're at. And look at what he says. The God who made the, made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Anybody know about ancient Greece? How many temples are there in ancient Greece? Probably a lot, right? There's a pretty famous one, right? What's it called? Parthenon? The Parthenon? Pretty big one? Pretty famous one? Where he's at? It's probably right over there, right? And what did Paul... These Listen, these are not just words. He's crafting his message for his audience. What does he say? The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples dwelt by human hands. Zing, got you again. I'm coming. I'm, I'm going to tell you, look, look, culture, this is where we live. This is what I'm going to address your need by the very culture that we live in. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Life and breath. You love that? Life and breath. What were the idols made out of? Stone, wood, metal. What does Paul say here about God? The God who gives life and breath. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. There's your attack. There's your polytheism right there. And he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, not far from any one of us, not far. Why do you think he said not far? Because all the gods reside in the heavens, right? And what's Paul saying about Jehovah? What's Paul saying about Jesus? He's not far. For in him we move and have our being. Now, some of you, if you're reading in your Bible, that for in him we live and move and have our being is in quotes, right? In quotes. You know why it's in quotes? Because he's quoting one of their philosophers. He's quoting them. They had written this in their own, in their own publications. Their philosophers had written this about the gods. 
And so Paul picks up on that. Oh, you guys even wrote about a God like that. Remember that? For in him we move and live and move and have our being. And he goes on to follow it up. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. What's he doing? He's relating to them right where they are. You have questions? I bet they're really, really good questions. But do you know that people who ask the same question you ask have already said this in response? They're already asking these other questions. Did you know that? Let me tell you more about that. Therefore, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold, silver, or stone. One more, right? Preaching right to where they are. An image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. Another, gotcha. I'm I'm telling you, you're not. We are so smart that we're missing what God is doing. You're so smart. You're so philosophical. You're so wise. And it's true. Really smart people are just missing the revelation of God in this world. But now he he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will, watch this, judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Interesting that Paul uses the word man. Interesting that Paul uses the humanity of Jesus in this argument in a town where he's surrounded by the deities of their world. Interesting play there. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And the raising of the dead, the Greeks would have thought was ridiculous. What did Paul just do from verses 24 through 31? He presents God in the following way. He presents God as creator, as sovereign, as self-sufficient, as the source of life. He presents God with racial equality. He presents God as near to us. He presents God as the living God. Remember their context, all the stone images. He presents the justice of God. Interesting. He will judge and bring justice, right? Interesting. Saying that in a land with, I don't know, there's a guy, there's, there's one of their, their, their gods named Zeus. Remember that guy? Interesting how Paul weaves into this narrative, this story, that, that our God is the God of justice, who reveals himself, who does miracles, and who gives new life. What's Paul doing? He's not just quoting scripture to them. He's not just preaching at them. He's not insulting them. We got to be careful. The ignorant part isn't an insult. He's just bringing up where they lack understanding. He's not shaming them for what they believe. He's not shaming them. He's ma- and he's not making them feel less than. What he is doing is he's addressing where they live. He's crafting his message to their questions. He's, he's honoring them. In the synagogue, he acts one way. In the marketplace, he acts a different way. In this civil government uh, setting, he acts a third way. He creates a space. He creates a space where they can believe. He listens. He assesses. And he responds with the right words 
at the right time. He allowed their questions. He welcomed their questions. And he engaged them. Some of them, some of them sneered at him. It goes on to, to talk about that in, in verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. 34, a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Some sneered. Some listened. Some wanted to hear more. And some believed. Paul didn't just give them Jesus. I I want to be careful, but I want to be clear. We do need to give the simple message of Jesus and the resurrection. But we need to listen to the questions that people are asking so that we can frame our response appropriately. Have you ever been misunderstood by someone? Have you ever felt like you were not heard by someone? People have important questions. The answer, the answers that we have for them sits in the power of the gospel of Jesus and his resurrection. It does. But we need to listen to what they're asking. Listen to their question. Honor them in the space that they're in. Be respectful of the, of the, of the environment and frame our questions and answers back to them in ways that are helpful to them. He knew his audience. He engaged the community. He understood what they were asking. He gave them Jesus. He created space for them to believe. So three things, three questions for us to consider this week. First, where do I struggle? Where do I struggle to engage my community? a question we have to ask. Where where do I struggle with this? Where do I struggle engaging my community? Because this, 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 let's be honest, this is easy. This is easy. Sunday morning, 9.30 is easy to come and sit and be with people. And and we want to be a place where people believe. We want to, we want to celebrate family, but are there places we struggle in our community to engage people? Maybe, maybe this week God will help us identify that, but also find a place to, to connect with people outside of work, outside of church, just in community. This can be as complex as maybe you're going to serve on a board for a nonprofit, or it can be as simple as coaching T-ball. You ever coach T-ball? I got war stories for you on that one. Secondly, what areas am I drawn to? Secondly, another question, what areas am I drawn to intellectually, artistically, athletically? But I need more help in understanding and speaking from a Christian perspective. Maybe you're pretty good at politics and 
Maybe you're interested in climate and archaeology and gardening, and maybe it's languages, and maybe, it's, maybe, it's, maybe you are the good auto mechanic or good at woodworking or fitness or nutrition or coaching or painting or pottery or video editing or graphic design and on and on. These are all areas and these are all communities of people that you could engage and get to know and listen to their questions and help them believe. Third, and this, one's, this one takes effort. How can I better frame the message of Jesus so that it's not a sales pitch, but it's hope to the people around me? Can FAC be a place where we leave a legacy for people to believe that they can feel comfortable asking the hard questions and that we will engage them right where they are with honor and respect and help them find the power of Jesus in the answers. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for this morning and this day. And we ask that you would do a work in our hearts and in our lives. Help us to see the community that we live in. Help us to see the people that are around us and help us to engage them appropriately. Help us to give the power of the gospel multiplied in effect by how we engage people. Now, as we go, may we go seeking you, loving those around us, and honoring you with our hearts and lives. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.